Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello? This is the Britflix Fryfest preview series 2019. Britflix podcast comes absolutely free, so can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen, and please rate and review us. You can just rate us. They all have star meters, which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all. Just click on it, and you're done, and it'll be really helpful, trust me. The higher the star meter, the more reviews we get, the more ratings we get, the more the Britflix.com podcast goes up the charts. Please, please, please. Come on, I'm begging you now. Everyone listening, go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type Britflix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time in your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast, Frightfest 2019 preview series. My name's Stuart Wright and today's guest is Dominic Burns. Hello. Hello, sir. Thank you very much for having me on. Welcome to the show. Um, Pleasure to be here. Indeed, indeed. And I keep saying this because I keep catching myself out, is obviously we have a preamble conversation. In fact, you and I had a fight with technology to get to this point, so I feel like I feel like we're winning now. Um, so then to sort of go, hello, how are you? You're like, we've already been there. We're, we're inviting each other on holidays next. Um, but um, <laughs> moving swiftly on, uh, we're going to do a podcast about Madness in the Method, uh, a film that you co-wrote and you produced. And uh, before we go any further... Uh, do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what it's all about, please? Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, um, <clears throat> well, I guess I guess to give you the synopsis is also worth telling you the inception of the idea. And it all came about... Um, well, can I say, Dominic, we'll go there next, but give me the synopsis first. Absolutely, sir. Yeah, How are you, you, you guide me and I, and I shall... Follow. No, no, no. It's, it's not often people volunteer the inception before the synopsis. But <laughs> So you, you, you're kind of doing a good job, but I'm well, going to stop then. you. And lastly, just give me a synopsis. Absolutely, yeah. You, you'll see later then how they're intrinsically linked. But Good. So the synopsis is that um, Jason Mewes is a, an actor in Hollywood who is known for playing certain types of roles. He's mm-hmm. uh, the stoner, the best mate, the kind of quirky character, and he's frustrated with it. He wants to get taken more seriously as an actor and be given the opportunity to take on roles that with a bit more meat on the bone. Mm-hmm. And um, Kevin Smith gives him some advice uh, to go and read this mythical book that Matt Damon recommended to Kevin Smith. And the book is about method acting. Um, so Jay manages to track this book down. He reads it far too quickly. He's warned to read it quite slowly. Uh, he doesn't. He reads it far too quickly. And um, in the process of trying to learn method acting, 
sends himself mad, hence madness in the method. And uh, by going mad, he manages to get himself mixed up in a series of murders that may or may not be his fault. And by being mixed up with these murders, suddenly raises his profile significantly in Hollywood and is suddenly seen by Hollywood in a different light and is beginning and is and suddenly begins to get these roles that he's been that he's been looking for, these more serious roles. And it kind of spirals into madness from there. Fantastic. Very, very well uh, put and succinct. Uh, now, before we go into detail of his inception, uh, <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing a kind of 20 year anniversary celebration on the podcast because it's 20 years of Fright Fest. Absolutely. And so I'm asking all the guests that have come on so far to give me a memory or an incident or a key moment from their 20th year. Well, I, I mean, I'm a massive, massive Fright Fest fan. I can't tell you how excited I am that our movies got into the festival. Mm. The first time I ever went to Fright Fest was when it was at the the Odeon on the other side of Leicester Square. I know it's sort of dotted around many places since. That must have been 15 years ago, I think. And uh, it was the premiere of uh, Wolf Creek, the Australian film. I think wow. it was Greg Clean that directed it. And I've been coming ever since. So, I mean, that, that first memory of going to Fright Fest, that first... You know, just like, what is this? Who are all these people that are just like me and into the same thing as me? And I want to be friends with these people. And and um, so that was always a massive memory of mine. Um, it's also afforded me to, you know, like <clears throat> I, I, I before I even got into the film business, I was a huge Jake West fan who directed, you know, Doghouse. And, uh, you know, he's an incredible horror director and, and now a good friend who actually directed Second Unit on uh, on Madison, the method. Mm-hmm. And um, and and. Oh god! I mean, there's so many. I, I saw Devil's Candy. Gone. You got. You I was going to say, did you did you meet Jake via Pride Fest? Uh, did I meet Jake via? But I can't. Do you know what? I honestly, no, I didn't actually. I met Jake at the after party of a film called Strippers versus Werewolves. Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> I've had the I've had the writer of that on the podcast previously. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, I met, that's where I met Jake the first time, but we definitely bonded at Fright Fest, you know, the, the classic kind of all nighter after the last film on Monday. Um, you know, that was the, the first yeah, time. Yeah, no, cause Jake. I wrote a little piece for, um, about, cause one of the early podcasts I've done in this session of preview series is, um, uh, Paddy Murphy, who directed The Perished two years ago was bending, uh, Joe Lynch's ear over at the Phoenix, saying he was going to give up. And Joe Lynch said, don't give up. You know, in, not too, not, in no uncertain terms. And, and here he is two years later, and he's actually got a film in Fright Fest. So had he not had that conversation outside the Phoenix, he might not he might not have made the film, never mind had it in Fright Fest. So he's kind of... I just think there's a great... I was, I was sort of more pushing... I've got the... It's a bit of a kind of a... It's it, like lots of festivals make their name because of what films they've got, but people people who come back to festivals is because of the sense of community the festival's got, and I think Fright Fest. Absolutely, Absolutely yeah, couldn't agree with you more. You know, and and what an amazing sense of community Fright Fest has. Mm. There's so many familiar faces there with it, and, and they're all the same, the people with the same passion and the same energy for films as you have. And you know, I mean, it's it, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I, I look forward to it every year just to go and hang out with those faces again. You know, it's so much fun. My my personal favourite of like um, of how that community is, is is as open as it is is that um, I was going to meet a writer called Bobby Lee Darby. I'd never seen him before. He wrote he co-wrote. Um, in fact, he was with he was with co-writer Nathan Brooks as well, who wrote Seen Evil Two uh, for the Saskia oh, Sisters. Sure. 
And because they were in London, I'd, I was going to meet them, and it was the day of Fright Fest. So it was kind of early doors, you know, early afternoon before the first film at six o'clock. Yeah. And, I, and, and you, when you look, you know, when you go to meet someone you've never seen before, and um, you're looking around, so you look, you're looking for people that look like they're looking for people. <laughs> yeah. And so I saw two fellas who looked like they were together, and um, I, I thought, oh, that must be them. So I went over and said hello. I said, oh, I'm Stuart. And he went, I'm Phil, and I'm Aidan. <laughs> and I went, so you're not Bobby and Nathan then? They went, no. <laughs> and do you know, we've been friends ever since. In fact, they've been, oh, on, the, they've been on the podcast. They're writing, a, they're writing an anthology book about the, about the entire um, called Alone in the Dark, which is, a, which is to cover the whole, every single slasher film ever made. Bloody hell, that's a hell of a window. I think it's beyond the call of duty, to be honest with you. I couldn't do it myself. <laughs> and I keep, every time I see them, I just say... I'm, you're doing it so we don't have to because Bad there's plan. some absolute <laughs> toilet films out there that they must have to watch um, to uh, to get to get what would be a comprehensive list of them but yeah yeah that's that's kind of I, I can't believe to this and I see them every year and it's like it's like it's bonkers really in my head but that's kind of one of the simple sort of powers of uh, of, of what fright fest does um well the, I mean the guys behind it I mean Paul and the team I mean I, I know Paul particularly well and obviously met and know them all over the years but you know they they they, um they've created something really really special and i think it is their energy and their passion it almost sounds like a bullshit thing to say but i genuinely believe that it is their energy and passion that has launched this thing that is so special and such an important moment on on so many people's calendars you know it really is something that so many people really look forward to and uh, i mean i i'd love it i can't wait i just can't believe i've got a film in there it's great you know it's such a buzz for me Right then, sir, let's get back to your film then. So, um, as, uh, as you were ready to jump the gun, let's get back to the gun you were going to jump. <laughs> uh, what, as, as, as one of the people that had a hand in writing this, what was the sort of inception, curl of an idea, that started the ball rolling on what became the film Madness in the Method? Okay, well, it all started uh, about years ago now. Um, we, um, Jay, I was producing a movie called uh, Devil's Tower, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a small indie movie. And um, Jay and we hired Jay to be in the film, and mm-hmm. Jay flew over and we shot it in my hometown, Derby. And uh, and Jay and I instantly hit it off. We got on really well. And um, and I remember sort of thinking, I, I mean, I could see that Jay. It wasn't that he was phoning it in. He wasn't phoning it in. He was great. He was doing the role brilliantly, and he was hilarious, and he was fun, and he was all the everything you think he would be, he is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you could see he just wasn't challenged. He was just doing it, you know, he, he, it was just so much in his wheelhouse. It was just, there was just no, I didn't feel like there was much challenge to him. So I said to him, I sort of, uh, we went out for a coffee and I said, you know, what is it that you want to do? You know, d- tell me something you want to do that you haven't done yet that you really feel would challenge you. You know, what would, what would really motivate and excite you? And he said, well, I really want to direct and I always wanted to play a serial killer and i was like okay right i'm gonna i'm gonna come up with something i'm gonna write it and i'm gonna send it you and and i think he sort of thought well all right yeah sure you know little english producer of this little english indie i'm on you know i just think because obviously in 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 the film business uh you know everyone's full of shit you know i mean there's so much bullshit and waffle that flies around Mm. so you can understand that he didn't take me seriously but so i went away came up with this idea wrote out the, uh, the the first draft of this idea and I fired it over to him. In fact, I first of all, I called him and pitched it to him and because it was very much encroaching into the view askew universe and, you know, he, you know, Jay was going to be playing himself and, 
you know, it was very much, um, and I wanted to get, I wanted to make sure he was all right with us exploring into it. Because obviously mm. in, in, in many ways, as you'll see when you see the film, we kind of, we, we do take the piss out of it as well, you know? And uh, so I wanted to make sure he was cool with it and he got the joke and the whole thing was something he was on board with. And and he was, he loved it. He loved the art. And not only did he love it, but he also had a whole bunch of ideas of how, you know, which direction to go with it and to tweak it and change it. And so then I went back and, and wrote it out. And uh, and then we met, he was in London for a comic con and we went and then, then we really got into the nitty gritty of it. And the script developed and developed. And uh, and then I went off and did, uh, I did a World War Two movie, which was, I mean, I did that in, 2013 i think hmm. you know this is going back quite a while yeah and then after the world war ii movie it was like you know it was just in my mind i just desperately wanted to make it and particularly at the time i mean obviously i know for, for fans of kevin smith obviously they know that jay and silent bob reboot is on the way um but at the time uh when we were writing this script you know kevin wasn't interested in making these kind of movies but i knew because i am a fan that there was a, a shitload of fans out there that would desperately want to see a movie that kind of goes and explores the viewers view universe um again and also maybe in a slightly different way hmm. and um and, and it was just fun to the idea of kind of getting jay's take of the viewers view universe was also really exciting as well and so it kind of developed from there um and then slowly but surely we we pieced the project together and and here we are you know it's been it's been a it's a crazy journey and a lot of people have bent over backwards and gone far above and beyond to make it happen you know I'm, you know we can only be grateful to so many people on this project mm. um but you know so excited that the, the, the you know that the fans finally get to see it it's just amazing to get their reactions and i love it so given given the sort of the the complete mishmash of a very meta film in the sense it's about a real person Playing, playing themselves, but also in a completely fictional universe at the same time, while obviously still having one foot in the camp of reality, because it's not, I'm guessing there's not supernatural in this. No, you, you, you guessed correctly. Yeah, yeah so, it's, so it's crime caper, but it's also the real person playing himself in and amongst crime capers. Totally, totally. So when you're writing that well, as I mean, a script... What what what's the challenge there? Because I'm thinking in terms of like you know we invent a character when we're writing, don't we? And we go, what motivates our character? You're not usually thinking, what motivates Jason? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, the thing is, is that the the first thing that was important with the film is that uh, anyone getting involved with it is going to have to bring their sense of humour to the table. Okay. Because if you know if you don't have, you know, it's um, I mean, and that's what's so brilliant about Jay, who is genuinely one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. And I know it sounds such a cliched and cheesy thing to say, mm -hmm. but, it, you know, oh, I love working with him, love this. But he's, he's just such an incredible individual and also incredibly, incredibly smart and caring. And a lot of things that you would perhaps not think upon the classic sort of caricature of Jay that you see in all the movies. Mm. But at the same time, he is that caricature. He is that much fun. You know, he is that sharp, you know, he's. The jokes are thick and fast. He's, you know, he's, the energy is in, intoxicating, you know. So he's, so I, I think Jay as a character is just such a fascinating person. So when writing a character that was essentially him but not him, you know, there's there's already a treasure trove, you know, into which you can delve. Mm. And uh, I think it was Jay that first, because effectively the way Jay describes this is that we're in an alternate universe um there's a comic term um you know that, that uh I, and i'm not familiar the, the, the guy chris was 
he's the guy I used to go, well, I, I, you know, I used to dip into for the comic book references because I don't, I'm not, I, I know the comic book movies, but I don't, I'm, I wasn't a comic book reader growing up, although hmm. I wish I was because I feel like I was missing out. But the, um, but Jay describes it as like an alternate universe, like, um, you know, like the same as ours, but not. And, and once you sort of accept that that's the world in which we're existing, then you can just have so much fun because you can take the characters that we kind of all know and we can just, take the piss out of them have a have a have a ball with them i mean <laughs> dean kane who's so funny in this film dean kane was the guy who played superman or yeah he's played loads of roles but probably arguably best known for playing superman in uh, the adventures of lois and clark in the yeah. 90s and terry yeah. hatcher terry hatcher who played lois lane is also in this movie and um but dean kane plays a guy who is absolutely obsessed that he's being followed by um by fans the whole time and he dresses in like a cap and sunglasses and he's forever hiding and super super paranoid and it's it's brilliant because if you meet dean he's the most chilled out person in the world he doesn't you know if you want to go and get an autograph or a picture or or you don't know who the hell he is he doesn't care you know he's just completely relaxed he went to princeton he's super intelligent guy and yet we're literally just taking the piss out of him you know we're having you know and and that's the kind of spirit that so many people came to on this movie we've got danny trio is is in a pink feather boa <laughs> you know i mean is playing, he really uh, yeah i mean it's, it's hilarious you know he's playing super super camp you know it's everybody just turned up with an amazing sense of humor and you can't help but go with it when jay's you know steering the boat because as i say jay is just so intoxicating you just go with it and and just see where this craziness takes us. And it, it was just such an amazing experience. So the writing I felt kind of had to reflect that. And, and what we often had to do was because obviously in, in terms of the earlier drafts, um, there was a couple of, so for example, I mean, I don't know whether this is out there or not, but it's no big secret is that in real life, uh, Jay Muse and Danny Trio are actually really good mates, they're really right. close mates. So in the first draft of the script um, or an early or the earlier drafts of the script, um, the character that's played by Vinnie Jones in the film um, was actually originally supposed to be Danny Trio. But unfortunately, when it came to shooting, the dates, we just could not get them to work. And um, so so whereas Danny was originally going to play Jay's best friend, as that is the truth in, you know, in life. I mean, obviously, Kevin's Jay's best friend, but Danny and Jay are, are very close. Hmm. Um, we then had to think of another cameo role for Danny and then rewrite that role. I had to rewrite that role for Vinnie Jones. He was our, you know, he was somebody that we just thought would be so hilarious to put with Jay in that role. We thought it would just work perfectly. So a lot of the time you're kind of writing slightly different versions of the scripts that have to be a little bit, you know, you have to be a little bit malleable in the sense that you, you know, you, you know, you're writing them for a different actor. Like the, the, the character that we wrote for uh, Danny Trio was based very much on, I would call Jay and ask Jay, you know, would Danny do this? How would Danny feel about that? And then with, um, with Vinny, I didn't, I didn't know Vinny personally, so I just sort of winged it. And then when he first read it, he said, I love it, but you need to change that and that because I wouldn't do that. And I'd be like, well, yeah, but you aren't you. And he goes, well, I'm me enough to not do that. <laughs> 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 well, this is this also. This is this really is quite meta because as a as I mean, I guess it's in, in some senses it's not a million miles from the process of of any film when you're casting it, but because of the idea that at some point it's grounded in our reality, the idea of creating new realities is, and this is probably going to sound like a crass comparison, but it's the best I can come up with. Have you seen Linklater's um, Slacker? A million years ago, I Okay, have, yeah. well, the beginning scene of that film has got, I think it is Richard Linklater himself, in the back of a cab, talking about the girl he was talking to at the bus station. And he talks about it as being like um, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, being at the crossroads. 
And because she looks down one road, that creates a reality. And because she looks down one road, that creates a whole other reality. But she doesn't choose them. So they, but they continue because she's already thought about them because that reality has happened now. And then she chooses to go straight on, which is the reality we see. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. do you know what I mean? So in a sense, you kind of gone. You've written, you've written this 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 fictional reality within Jay, Jay's life of his friend Danny, and then and then that exists because it was thought of, and then. Danny couldn't make it. So you're like, I need a, still need a best friend character for uh, for uh, for Jay to have in the film, and Vinnie Jones is available. So uh... <laughs> yeah, it's like super, super, super basic string theory, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. No, I mean, I mean, it, it, it was so, it was, it was so, it was so much fun um, messing around with those, you know, with all those kind of roles, and and and, and obviously you were, you know, like uh, for example, let's take the Dean Kane role again. I mean. I remember sitting in uh, Jay's got like a man cave in his house. It's mm. a su- yeah, super cool little hangout thing, and uh, I remember sitting in there writing this roll out, and then I would read it out to Jay, and as I read it out to Jay, he would make tweaks, and he was sitting there going, "I, re- you know, like Jay was really worried that like we would be." He, he was super because Jay is actually, a, you know, he really he does really give a shit. Jay does, and he didn't want to offend anyone. He didn't want to piss anyone off, and he was worried that if we sent this role to Dean Kane, that Dean Kane might not get it. He might think you know might see it as us taking the piss out of him as a you know there's a there's a thin line i guess between you know laughing with somebody and laughing at somebody and it yeah, was, yeah, it was yeah, important yeah, yeah. that we you know stood very much the right side of that line if that makes sense and uh but of course you know dean king <laughs> i think he I think it was um, through the other producer, Rob, who uh, actually got hold of Dean. I can't remember now. How, oh, there's so many different ways we got all these different casts. And I think he, if I remember correctly, he called Rob just laughing his ass off going, yeah, this is really funny. I'm up for it. Let's do it. You know? And it's almost, it's almost like that's, that's the casting call, isn't it, really? It's like if they say, I really think it's funny, you're like, well, you obviously are right for the film. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's no point... There's no point in turning up on this set without a sense of humour because <laughs> it, it just wouldn't have worked. Yeah, definitely. So um, the 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 book of acting that he reads really fast—that's a real book, yeah? No, that's completely made up. <clears throat> we just um, it was, the the idea really was that you know like the idea was you know Jay taking up method acting and hmm. the process of taking up method acting would send him a little crazy and and the book seemed like a a, a logical. Um, a logical way of, of sort of describing that to the audience as to what was happening, I guess. A bit How? of a MacGuffin in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's uh, yeah, it's good. I just, just I was just fascinated. You know, just, just being a bit nerdy, I thought if it was like, based on a real book, sort of, it's sort of like a second, a sort of third level of, of meta that you've you've took a method acting book principles and then brought them into a film. Um, but um, thinking, think you produced this as well as wrote it. So from a production point of view, you, you've you obviously you've you've had a relationship with Jason, which has developed, and you've kind of, in a way, you've 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 been able to, you've been through time, and the pressures that haven't been on it until they've needed to be on it. You've you've had a, I guess, if if you start off with the where you said where it's like Jason going, yeah, yeah, whatever. When you said let's make a film, to then moving closer and closer to that being a reality. Obviously, in the meantime, there's almost like a luxury of there isn't the pressure to 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 sort of get it right or get it wrong, as it were. But obviously, as you move as you move on, you do. And then now you're producing it, and Jay's not only in it; he's he's directing it. So you've fulfilled two two ambitions that he said to you in that conversation. Um, you, and and what does that mean in terms of a question? 
Um, so, you looking at him as the director and the star, what's the conversation like when you then put your producers out on and talk to him? Not, not the, not the Jay, what would we do writing hat? Yeah, no, again, really good question. I, I'm a great, great friend of mine who's a brilliant producer, another English producer called Andy Thompson. And mm-hmm. um, we did, uh, we've done a few movies together. And he, I did the World War II movie with him. Mm-hmm. And it was on that movie that he gave me, um, he said something to me that really, really stuck. And, and I've used it many, many times since. And he basically said that producers are like swans. Uh, you know, on the on the surface, everything's cool and we've got everything in hand. And then just beneath the surface, we're kicking like fuck, you know, <laughs> trying to try and keep the thing, you know, to keep the thing on near the train. I thought you were going to say only the queen can eat you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that. But, um, you know, but, but the um, the point is, is that, it is it is a fine line actually and 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 i'm i mean i'm very much a, a, a creative producer i mean I, to be honest if bizarrely my my passion is directing and okay. it's um to produce something um i have to be super passionate about it and also have to feel um i have to feel very very comfortable with the director which was a you know a no brainer on this with jay i mean hmm. not only do i get on with him brilliantly personally i find it i mean Anyone who makes me laugh like Jay does already goes straight to my good books, you know. It's just yeah. the way I work. But, but I was so excited to see what Jay would do with this movie. Um, so it was worth it to me, you know, because because. But I even when I'm with my producer's hat on, um, you know, I, I consider myself very much a creative producer. And I would say that the uh, uh, the producer that um, the other principal producer on this, uh, a guy called Rob Weston. Hmm. he's definitely more of a um, don't get me wrong Rob is a, a creative producer at the same time I don't want to in any way take that away from him but he's also you know better at the uh, the business side the spreadsheets and the cash well, flow well I mean I don't mean to that's a bit unfair I, no no, yes, no, no I, I, I think yeah, it's, it's 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 a reality of making a film though I think I mean I used to I used to manage a band and and when I managed a band it was it was seen to be on the surface an exciting thing to do you know rock band you're touring and all that and then you go I book hotels. <laughs> I hire a driver. You know, and I mean, suddenly it doesn't sound as good as rock manager, does it? Rock band manager. Well, I mean, yeah, that is fair. I understand that, and and you know, just to clarify, Rob did a hell of a lot more than booking hotels in this movie. <laughs> I say that, but the um, you know, I mean, that, you know, that's the honest truth. But the um, but you know, but it is, but it is, um, it's, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, the, I hate the business side of show, and I love the show. Hmm. But unfortunately, the business is a necessity in order to facilitate the creativity. Hmm. I mean, I can't really put it in any other way. I hate having to do the business and try to avoid it as much as I can. If I can work with people who are better than the biz- at the business side than I am, then all, all the better. Um, but, um, you know, because I love I could sit and J- sit with Jay and, and talk about, you know, the, the creatives and how we're going to shoot it and the characters and, you know, and and, and and I can sit in the edit and I can write and for, for, you know, for hours and hours and hours and hours. But, you know, put me in front of a contract and I'll fall asleep. You know, I just I can't stand it. I mean, it has to be done, but I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll avoid it at all costs. I think people that write contracts know that about most of us, though, don't they? Yeah, I think they do it on purpose, all the waffle, yeah. They do, they do, just so they can get an hourly rate, that's all it is. So when you send it back, and they go, I'll read it again, I'll do, I'll do the iteration, I'll do that iteration. Um, yes, no, it's, uh, you're right, It's uh, you, you kind of think, after all the, well, what have we got? We've got like probably about 100 years now, haven't we, under our belt of sort of popular culture entertainment at the very least, and maybe a good 80 years with, with intellectual property being an important part of it. 
Yeah, why, why, why is it so hard to just do deals? Why, do <laughs> why haven't we got it down um, to a paragraph now? I could give you an answer to that, but I'm not sure I'd like to commit it to podcast issues. <laughs> maybe, you can maybe tell me when we finish. I'll give you an answer to that over a beer at Fright Fest. <laughs> no, I do. I do. I mean, I, remember I interviewed, talking of legal stuff, I did, um, I interviewed Tony Morris, who's a entertainment solicitor in, uh, mm-hmm. in the West End, and he, he, um, He's done the book, The Legal Guide for Filmmakers. And um, it, one thing that he, he just issued a new edition, and one of it that, sh- that shocked me, but, but in, in a way it's not so shocking. In American law, it's assumed good faith. In UK law, it's not. So you have to explicitly say in a, in a, in a, in a UK contract about making a movie with each other that you're entering into the contract with good faith as a kind of... And it's almost like, I and mean, what he said is, he says, anybody that says take that out, because you really don't want to work with that person. It's almost like the biggest red flag you can get, right? You know, like that. And I thought, well, that's kind of Well, either that or they're just not familiar with contract terminology. I mean, you know, I see good faith is a, is a, is a, is a, is a very popular uh, contractual term. I see a lot. Um, and, it, and it can mean... You know, it's it's a. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's I don't still, really look, they're, they're all still. <laughs> my not, my opinion on uh, this type, you know, we're, we're into. I mean, good faith can be is often used as a way of sort of patting someone on the head and saying, "Look, mate, just fuck off with that point for a while, will you? And we'll worry about it later. You know, we'll deal with that in good faith." Of course, yeah. So, but the, but the point being is, is that if you've decided, if if, if a relationship is broken down, a contract can say could say anything it wants. It means nothing after that point. Once once things are broken down, it's just it's yeah, just a, fasc- it's just a fascinating yeah. thing. Um, Going back to your film, um, and as I, in fact, go, going back to the point about Jason directing and, and you producing, but like you said, you, you know, you, 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 your big passion is directing. How, how in that position do you? Because obviously you share a vision with Jason, but Jason is the director, and a director, you know, in, in the hierarchy of film, gets to gets to orchestrate much of what gets to be the look and feel with his with his heads of departments. So how do you how do you avoid creative creep from your side as it were into what jason wants to do as a director well i mean that's again a really good question i, I don't mean in any way to come across sycophantic you know these are these are excellent questions it's nice to be able to get into this kind of depth on, on the filmmaking process mm. um i don't know how many people are going to find this interesting but i certainly do um so the answer to that is um is basically in my opinion the key the key to to that situation is for jay to feel comfortable enough to tell me to fuck off. And in, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, no way joking. Like, I mean, I am. It's, it's funny, but it's true because he, you need, I need to, I need to be able to feel free to uh, like, I, I'm, you know, if you know me, I am not someone who is very good at keeping their opinion quiet. Mm. Just, <laughs> it just isn't me. And I'm sure there's a few people listening to this now that are laughing and nodding their heads, but the, um, but the, Ultimately, I'm not going to be able to, I mean, obviously there were many times where it was just so busy and so chaotic that I absolutely didn't have time to, to, to give Jay my two cents on what was going on, you know, mm. just doing it by himself. But, but, um, but I needed to be able to know that I could say to Jay what I felt and I would be, sometimes I would tell him strongly and other times I would just suggest it. But equally, he would feel comfortable to just go, no, I'm doing it my way. And that wouldn't be, you know, you can, I've always thought, you know, on a film set, you've got to be able to, lock horns with each other and then at the end of the day you know it, it, when it's all finished you can go and have a coffee and have a chat and you know it's it's almost like business is business on the film set and you can't take it too personally because 
if you if you've got a set of full of creative passionate people then of course you know people are going to lock horns i mean you almost want that because that means you've got creative passionate people who all really really care about the the end of the film i mean i'll tell you i'll tell you going on uh, um a slight digression the, mm. the dp the dp on the film Vinny vince Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a young up and coming guy who's going to be huge. He's going to be a huge DP, un- undoubtedly. And uh, there was one scene um, that happened quite early on, and we'd gone way over. And it was early. We, we shot in LA, then we shot in Derby, and then we shot back out in LA. And um, would you believe Derby in January doubling for Hollywood? But that's a slightly different story. But so we were um, we were already on like day two or three, falling right behind, and we had to call it a day um because we just didn't want to take the piss out of the crew mm. um and we missed a couple of key shots not not key to the point of we weren't going to be able to t- tell the story in the edit but key to the point where you know there were really sexy shots we wanted but we're just going to have to sacrifice them so we were wrapping the crew and the dp Vinny um ran off with his uh, camera unit and it, it makes us sound quite unprofessional but you know this did happen and he ran off and shot this beautiful crane shot of, uh, of a car speeding off and um we did it safely took the first ad with him there's no issue on that line but you know on the one hand as a producer i'm like well you really can't do that you know that you've got this is you know there's a reason there's a there's a hierarchy there's a chain of command yeah. it's important you follow it but on the other hand the creative in me is going you absolute legend i can't believe you went and did that that's brilliant and and the shot not only made the film but it made the trailer you know so it's that kind of um it's that kind of uh you're constantly battling with that voice inside going, you know, the creative versus the producer. This is the director. You're not the director. You know, it's the, you just have to try and find a balance and make sure that those around you, you know, that you're, you know, that, that they can, even if you're, you know, yelling on a set and all hell's breaking loose, I've, the people closest to me know they can just pull me aside and go, no, we're going to do it this way or, or suggest this. And, and, and I'm the same with them. I know that I can, if, you know, if there's something really important that Jay, I felt was missing you know, I felt totally comfortable enough with him to pull him aside and go, Jay, I really think we need this. Hmm. But to be honest, um, I didn't need to pull him aside that often because we just felt comfortable enough in front of each other and in front of the crew to just talk it out and figure it out, you know, as, as, a, as a collaborative effort. Because, and, and, and I'm, I'm sort of speaking uh, uh, more widely here, but anyone who doesn't understand that filmmaking is very, very much a collaborative process, I think is is onto a loser you know it's such a you're only ever as strong as your weakest link in the chain yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, you know you've got to understand you know that, that it's such a collaborative process and you know just because you you know because the director might be top of the pile it doesn't mean that somebody much lower down can't have a better idea than him yeah yeah um, um, it, it, or her. yeah it sounds it sounds a lot like what you're saying is is in a sense we can all strive to make the best film that we think we can make together or we can be arsy and just walk our own way. And there's a big difference between the two, isn't there? In terms totally of what collaboration means. Totally agree, yeah. Sorry, I realise I went on, off on a bit of a tangent. No, 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 that's fine. No, I, I, wanted to ring. I just wanted to summarise, really, just to sort of get a sense of if I'd understood it. So, um, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, so, uh, I've asked you now from all different points of view. Now, that, that you're also, because you're also credited as uh, Detective Wayne Arnold's partner <laughs> in the film. So, now, this, this might be a bit of an unfair question. Um, so what, what I want to ask is, as you've been an actor now in front of Jay, as well as a writing collaborator and as his producer, now you're an actor, in the palm of his hand, what kind of a director did you find him to be? Amazing. And, and I think everybody <laughs> felt that. I really did, you know, because 
I mean, acting is, um, is something I really enjoy. I want. I got into this business because I wanted to act, and then mm. I just realised I wasn't. A, I didn't look right for the type of roles that I wanted, and B, and two, I wasn't strong enough. I think mm. I'm a solid actor, but I'm not amazing. Yeah. And um, and so I just it's just fun to do roles whenever I can, and and I you know quite often my mates will throw me a role, or I, unfortunately recently I've not been able to do it. But um, but also as an actor, the other great thing is that if you can act in front of as many directors as possible, then you can you can learn from each of those directors. Mm. Or another way you could say it would be you can steal from those directors and you mm. can you can utilize techniques um, to, uh, you know, I was just recently on um, on uh, the set of uh, 47 meters down to uh, mm-hmm. one of my good mates, Johannes Roberts, is directing that. And I just walked onto that set and I was just absolutely blown away it was just amazing and you know pardon the pun because the majority of the film sat underwater but i felt out of my depth you know i really did because he was directing in this 3d world underwater the, you know the whole the way the camera works the places you can put it the way the, the scene develops the way you direct it was just remarkable to see johanna's work it was just jaw-dropping and, mm. and you know you, you kind of forget when you're sitting in the pub with your mate chatting films and you know, you actually forget that, that, you know, the talent of the man. And, um, you know, and that to me was just absolutely jaw dropping and inspiring at the same time. So I wasn't acting in that film. I was just visiting the set. But my point being is that from an acting point of view, really, it's just a great way of, um, of having a bit of fun and also kind of collecting knowledge. So when you went with uh, to, to go back to your question about Jay is that I just trusted him. I just did what he told me to do. And and when you see me in the film, I'm, I'm a very small part. I actually cut some of myself out, would you believe? Mm. But not, not you know, I just, just just for the better of the film. But the mm. um, but the uh, I just did what he told me, you know, and, and, and you know, there were so many times that Jay would throw a curveball. And the problem is, is that most of the examples I can think of are um, would take us into spoiler territory in terms of the plot. Mm-hmm. But there's so many times that um, that Jay would suggest something to an actor, and I would be sitting there thinking, "Well, I don't, I'm not sure that's that's a bit. I'm not sure that's a bit daft," or you know, I'd just question it. And then and then the actor would do it, and you'd be like, "Oh my god, that's brilliant! That's so funny! I would never have thought of that. I would never have thrown that in there." And uh, and that, and that's why I think Jay, moving forward, is is actually a really exciting director because I think he's only going to hone his craft more. He's only going to get more polished, and as he does that. I don't think the zany ideas are going to go anywhere. So I think you're going to get this more and more polished, exciting director with the equally bonkers ideas all thrown into one. And certainly I think actors are going to be keen to work with him because he is an actor himself. He's a, he's a creative. He understands it. You feel totally comfortable. You feel, you feel, um, you feel in very safe hands and you're having fun. I mean, what more can you ask for? Yeah. Cause it, it always strikes me that, that, that uh, a director that's been an actor talking to actors is is a is a more I guess an empathetic advantage to, to a to a director a director that's never acted but only because they can he or she can say what I always feel like when the when the cameras on me is X Y or Z and then so can we think of it this way and then suddenly you're just going okay I'm being asked to think about something new whereas a director who's not acted he's obviously got the authority but maybe it's it's a different it's a different route to the same answer. Um, yeah, I think I think that's you know very 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 fair. But I mean, you only need to um, you only need to look at the cast. I mean, we had so many people that we were just. I mean, Jay was so surprised. He's also an incredibly humble man. Jay is. I mean, I I, I know it sounds like I don't have a bad word to say about him, and it's true. I really don't. 
And um, you the, know, the, the, pod, the podcast way. promoting the film is not the forum to say bad things. Let me tell you, don't be ashamed well, about saying good things. <laughs> true, but uh, I mean, to be honest with you, with my mouth, if I had bad things, I'd be liable to let them slip. Got you. But the um, but I really don't about Jay. I mean, it's like um, you know, he was he was genuinely humbled and surprised at the amount of people that turned up. You know, we were making we were calling agents and saying, look, we're producing Jay's directorial debut. Jay would really like you know, so-and-so or to consider this role, you know, or are they available? And, you know, we, we just got consistently positive reactions, you know. And if it weren't for um, um, some availability issues, we'd have had, you know, a couple more extremely well-known high-profile names in the film that wanted to, you know, go into bat for Jay. I mean, you only need to look at the Jay and Silent Bob reboot cast to see how many people have gone into bat for Kevin. Mm. You know, these guys are beautiful guys. They're amazing guys. They're genuine, genuine people in Hollywood, you know, that genuine people do exist and they are it and, uh, and 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 it just goes to show for the amount of people that that, that go to bat for them now there's very there's, there's obviously a very uh, in terms of the, the cast that's in the, the extensive cast that's in it there's one name in it that that um obviously isn't with us anymore um in the shape of um in the shape of stan lee do you want to talk about that i mean i mean i mean yeah absolutely i mean that was uh it was just an absolutely incredible day I mean, we, <laughs> and also an incredible day, uh, day that that um, Stan Stan's going to play himself, I guess. Yeah, he Stan plays himself absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and um, and it's uh, and it's a great. It's a not only is it a great example of uh, of how lucky we were to to be on this film, but also it's a great example of of, of Jay. It's a good example of Jay. Hmm. And <laughs> to explain, it's um, it's about one two o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm sitting outside my house in LA. And we'd been shooting nights. And um, and so we were due to go back on set about 6 p.m. And I was kind of half asleep, sitting outside in the sunshine, you know, just trying to recuperate from the night's previous shoot, getting ready for the next night's shoot. And, uh, and Jay called me up and he was super, super excited. And he says, I've got incredible news. I've got incredible news. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, dude, Stan Lee wants to do the film. He's up for it. You know, he's going to do it, you know? And I was like, holy shit. This is, you know, obviously like, this is a huge moment. Stan Lee's going to be in the, this is amazing. And um, Stan Lee was due to shoot the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he could make it. And we had a role set up for him. But the, the problem was, is he was flying. I can't remember where he was flying somewhere the next day. I think it was for some sort of comic con. And uh, so we couldn't make the next day. So we could only make today. <laughs> and, uh, and this is kind of beautiful actually, is that, Every single night, um, with that question, when Stan was in L.A., he had to be back home to have dinner with his wife. Um, I think it was 6 p.m. he had to be back home. Okay. Which was at, so Stan had to be back home when we were supposed to be, it's called a call time, as I'm sure you know. That's the mm. time that everybody's supposed to be on set. So I was like, well, well what did you say, Jay? He's like, I told him, yes, he's going to be there in like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so we have we have Stan Lee heading to a place called Eagle Rock in LA, which is like half hour, forty minutes out of Hollywood. We're in Hollywood, and we've got the crew aren't supposed to be there for like three, four hours. I've not he can't do the scene he's supposed to be doing the next day for various reasons. So I've got like an hour, and we've got to we've got to write the scene for Stan, and we've got to get the entire crew there, and we've got to try and make sure the crew beat Stan there. <laughs> And it was just like, I mean, it's just unbelievable. You just talk about hitting the panic button. And we just reached out to all our crew in America who were all just amazing, half of whom were waking up. But obviously when you're telling them that, you know, we've got Stan Lee coming on set, everybody just, you know, gets the hustle on. Yeah. So it was kind of like, um, 
wacky races was us all trying to fly up the, uh, I think it was the 110 to get out to Eagle Rock. <clears throat> Sorry, 101. And, uh, and, and, you know, literally like flying up the freeway, trying to figure out how I was going to write the scene and what, what the hell he was going to say. And literally just wrote it there and then, and, and then kind of arrived on set and Stan arrives as the crew's arrive. And then he was so chilled out and so relaxed and so funny and just chatting with all the crew and hanging out and taking the piss out of everybody. And he was just, he was just great. It was just such an amazing, and he was so relaxed and he could, he knew that we were all kind of running around trying to get set up in time. He didn't care. He was just completely chill, relaxed, just chatting away. Um, he was sat with uh, uh, Mickey Gooch, who plays Detective Arnold in the film. They were getting on like a house on fire, standing the pictures and, you know, cause normally a crew, very rarely would a crew ask for pictures with one of the actors. It really isn't, it isn't the kind of dumb thing, but of course, you know, when Stanley's on set, everybody was making an exception, including me, and um, and uh, he was just amazing. And then to see <clears throat> Stanley, you know, to to watch Jay direct Stanley and him to deliver these lines, oh my god, what incredible! It was just an incredible, uh, incredible honor. And then of course, uh, I mean, Jay, you know, Jay got very rarely for him got a bit emotional, and that sent me bloody going. And the whole thing was quite, a, you know, it's quite a moment. It was incredible. And then um, <clears throat> fast forward, uh, uh, you know, 18 months, a couple of years later, however long it's been, mm. and saw the latest Marvel Spider-Man movie and then realised, you know, Christ, that, you know, we knew that this was the last thing Stan had filmed, yeah. but we didn't know how many um, cameos Marvel had banked. And it wasn't in any way part of our plan or strategy. Um, of course. You know, to have it as Stan's, just, just the way it worked out. And suddenly my friend said to me, Christ, you're the, you're the, you've written Stanley's last ever words on screen. I was like, Oh shit. And, uh, and I sort of sat there and pondered it and thought that and text Jay. And I said, look, I've just seen the new Spider-Man film that, you know, I think you, you, you're going to be the last person to have directed Stan, you know, isn't that insane? And <laughs> I was telling this story to one of my, a couple of my other friends, my friend Mark. Hmm. And uh, I was saying, you know, it's really kind of amazing. Isn't that amazing? And he just went, well, I don't know about that, mate. I've got, I don't think anyone's got any, any idea who wrote John Wayne's last lines or who wrote the Duders last lines. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let it get to your head, mate. <laughs> well, there you go. That brings you down to earth, isn't it? Me back down to earth. <laughs> oh God, it was so funny. That's so typical of my mates, you know. So, but yeah, but I mean, it was, uh, I mean, what an incredible honor. I mean, I don't, I, I, there's, the problem is there's no real, real way of being able to, uh, describe what that feels like apart from just using, well-trodden cliche after cliche really well yeah i think i think when we're talking about someone of the who, who exists in popular culture canon like stan leaders there's there's really no room for for sort of some some sort of uh original way of expressing it because you know he, he's 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 such a recognizable icon of of and, and given all of the the stuff with the marvel universe that's that's sort of come to the fore now he couldn't in a way he couldn't be more famous in the last years of his life if he tried well, it was just remarkable. He was one yeah. of the most famous people breathing air, wasn't he? Yeah. And, um, and he had, um, I mean, it all, there's a lot of scandal that happened around Stan toward the end of his life. But, um, and I know this, I don't know if anyone followed it closely, but there was a guy called Max who used to handle Stan and was with Stan a lot. And, and that was how I knew Stan. And every time I'd met him, it was when Max was with him. And this guy, Max, was a, to, to me, to me anyway, a really, really beautiful, lovely guy. And uh, I remember Jay um, just going up to Stan and just, you know, hum I mean, how do you thank Stan Lee for coming and being in your movie? You know, I mean, and, and Max just took Jay aside and said, look, you know, he, he, he really wanted to do this for you. This is his gift to you. He really, really wanted to do it for you. It meant a lot to him. And of course, that was <laughs> that was Jay gone. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, Stan really, 
you know, he really wanted to do it for Jay. You know, he he, he felt, you know, he felt that for Jay and did that for Jay. I mean, I guarantee you now, if uh, if I'd written something and sent it to Stan, <laughs> I don't think he would have been on the set. He was there for Jay and Jay alone. Brilliant. Well, look, uh, I think we could talk for hours and hours about your film, but uh, uh, we're going to have to draw it to a close at some point, as it's a podcast. Um, indeed, indeed. No, that's why I, was, I kind of figured I'm not going to uh, delve into something that will uh, sort of touch me like that has. Um, so, uh, thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast. Um, before... Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much. No, uh, you've been very, very open and and and, and uh, sort of collaborative with me, even you know about sort of uh, answering questions about the filmmaking process. So, just before you go, then just tell people who. Um, who aren't pass holders that might hear this, so uh, they can find out the time and the date to go see the film. Well, I, I'm happy to do that, <clears throat> but we are we are roadblock sold out, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, so the the film is on at Fright Fest. It's on uh, Saturday the oh, 24th, I believe, of August, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I think I think we're completely sold out. Yeah. I think, well, congrats. Uh, well, I think. I'll be I'll be an I'll be an audience of one because that's all I am at the moment. Hopefully, there's more. So well done on selling out the film. Um, does that mean does does the film have a release date beyond Fright Fest already agreed? No, we've just come out this weekend in the USA, mm-hmm. um, and because the, the nature of the film, it was that we always needed to secure the domestic release, which means you know the, the, the local releases to where it's set. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm really hoping um, we'll have news for UK, Australia, and we'll roll out internationally. Um, we got. Um, hopefully, we'll have some news very, very soon. Hopefully, we'll be able to announce it at Fright Fest. But we're just we're working on it now. We we know there's plenty of people in the UK gagging to see it, and we really appreciate people waiting. And yeah, we'll get it out there as quick as we can do. Cool. All right, and we'll look. Well, I look forward to seeing you in London. Can't wait, mate. Be a pleasure to meet you. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.